All right, well, welcome to H2O. My name is Brian Wiles. I'm one of the pastors here. If I haven't got a chance to meet you, it's great to have you here. If you're visiting with us, uh, we want to say welcome. Uh, it's really good to be together today. Also want to welcome H2O Akron, who's joining us via video today. And we are excited this week as we are in week two of this series that we're calling Greater. And we're calling this series Greater because it is a verse-by-verse -verse look through the book of Colossians that we're going to be spending the next eight weeks together, journeying through the Bible together. And the lens that we're viewing this book through is the, the picture that Paul is painting that Jesus is greater than anything that this world has to offer. And that word greatness is a word that resonates with a lot of us. We talked about this last week as we were launching into the series, but as humanity, we're drawn to greatness, aren't we? And we've talked about how we're, we're drawn to the debates about greatness of who's the greatest athlete, what's the greatest song, uh, what's the, the greatest play. We, we love seeing art that's beautiful and great. There's something in humanity that is drawn to greatness. And we believe the reason why we're drawn to greatness is that it points us to a picture of the reality that we're all drawn to Jesus. You see, we were created to worship someone and something great. And that's what the book of Colossians tells us about. And it tells us that Jesus is that one that we were made to worship, that he is above all and in all, and he created all things, and he holds all things together. And so this series we're viewing through the lens uh, of greatness and greater. And so with that in mind, I wanted to even just ask you to think about this question as we launch into this message today. And the question is, what is the greatest mission you've ever been on? Or maybe what is the greatest adventure that you've ever taken part in, you know? And we all love to tell stories of these great adventures or missions that we've been a part of. Uh, being in ministry, I've got the privilege to be a part of some really cool mission trips. I've got the opportunity to go overseas and to, to share the gospel and to see really cool things happen. But one of the stories I was thinking of, this, this great mission or adventure that I got to go on when I was in college, really doesn't have much to do with ministry, but it has a lot to do with the outdoors. I was out at Colorado uh, at the leadership training program that, that we helped to put on when I was a student. And when we were out there, there was this guy. He was kind of like a mountain man. His name is Daryl Phillips. And uh, some of you might know him. He's actually a pastor with us. But he, he's this outdoorsman that would oftentimes take these younger staff on these crazy adventures, these crazy, crazy missions. And so he pulls a few of us together and he says, do you want to go on a, on a big hike with, with me? And I say, yeah, that'd be great. And he says, okay, we're going to hike across the park, the Rocky Mountain National park. Now, I was just getting acclimated to, to Colorado, so I didn't know exactly what that means. So when he said, do you want to hike across the park? I'm like, yeah, I'm thinking city park, you know, like a half mile or something like that. And so I sign up without really even thinking about it. Well, the day before we go on the trip, he pulls out the map and we start plotting out our trip. And I realize that we're hiking 26 miles across the Rocky Mountain National Park. And it's not just a 26 mile hike. If you know anything about that area, it's up and down mountains from 8,000 feet up to 13 thousand feet and up and down over and over again and so I realized wow this is what I signed up for okay but I'm ambitious and I say why not so we decide we're gonna hike and start at midnight so we get driven over to the other side of the park we get dropped off in the middle of nowhere and like in that moment it just kind of sets in like 
the only way back is to hike through this park. So we start walking. It's completely dark. We have our headlights on. We're, we're pushing brush out. We're going through this park. And in the first couple hours, I'm like, I just don't even know if this is possible. Like, are we going to survive? Are we going to get eaten by bears? Are we going to get eaten by mountain lions? Which is actually possible. Not likely, but possible. And, uh, and, and I'm thinking, how in the world are we even going to do this? Well, we keep hiking further and further and further. And finally, the sun rises. And we're like a quarter of the way in as the sun rises. And we're thinking, is this even a reality? Is this mission accomplishable? Can we possibly make it? And as we continue to go further and further, we start to get some hope. Maybe finally we made it halfway. And then we make it a little bit further. And now the sun is setting, but we're only like five or six miles away from making it back to uh, the place that we're going to finally meet. And I remember realizing at the moment, we are actually going to accomplish this mission. We're going to actually make make it through this adventure that we're on. And it was like this, this amazing moment when we finally hiked in that last mile to think, wow, what a cool thing. In the bond that we had, there were six of us that did this hike. And still to this day, he says it's like the hardest thing that he's ever done, which I take pride in because he's done a lot of amazing hikes. And whenever I go back out there, because we go out there often for ministry, it's like I look at that. We hiked over the Continental Divide. I look at those mountains. I'm like, we conquered you, man. In your face, we can do it, you know? It was this amazing mission and adventure. And I think as humans, we're built for adventure a little bit, aren't we? We're built to be on mission. We love the reality of trying to go after something and conquer something. And as the passage that we come to today is going to describe, Paul is talking to this church in Colossae and he's telling them, listen, I want you to know that as you follow Jesus, you get invited into this amazing mission, this amazing adventure that there's nothing else like. And it's way greater than hiking some mountains. It's way greater than any other mission or adventure that we may get to be a part of here on this earth. As a follower of Jesus, you get invited into the greatest mission of all times. In fact, that's a big idea that I want to share with and wrestle with today is this. Following Jesus allows us to be the part of the greatest mission of all. And when we think about that reality, it's a beautiful picture. Now, for some of us, we think, man, I really like being comfortable. I'm not sure if, if signing up to following Jesus is something that I want to do because it may cause me to be stretched and it may cause me to do things that I'm not exactly comfortable with. But what we're going to see here is that this mission that God calls us to is something that he is already accomplishing. It's something that he's already working in, and he simply invites us. You and I to be part of what he is doing. And man, there is nothing greater than that. It's something worth living for. It's something worth dying for. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. It's exciting. And Paul is going to show us how we can engage in the mission of God and what that looks like as we're seeking to follow him. So you can open up with me to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. We just made it through the first six verses last week. So we're going to pick up at verse 6, and it says this. We're going to stop a couple different times throughout these next 14 verses, and we're going to pick apart what Paul is telling us, but it says this. It says, in the same way, Paul talking to the church in Colossae, he says, in the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. And the first thing I think we can learn just from that first verse is this. We are a small part 
of God's big plan. You and I, we get to be a small part of God's big plan. Do you you catch the language that Paul is using there? He says the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world. Throughout the pages of the Bible, there's, there's this analogy that's oftentimes used when we come to talking about our faith and we come to talking about the gospel. And, and oftentimes it's compared to this fruit that produces and that grows and that spreads. And it's interesting because this week, uh, my wife, she was actually in Arizona. Uh, she was visiting some family out there. And as she was visiting family uh, out there, there's our, our grandparents, they have this grapefruit tree. And whenever you leave for a little while, um, I don't know if you're like this, but if you have young kids, whenever you leave, they want you to bring you something back from wherever you went. So when my wife came back, um, she said that my kids, of course, were like, Mom, what did you bring us? What did you bring us? Now, usually they want like candy or some cool toy or something like that. Well, she forgot to get them anything, to be honest, not to throw her under, under the bus. But she's like, guys, I brought you something from Grandma and Grandpa's house. It's a grapefruit. And she brought them this grapefruit. Now, this is really weird. Like, I I used to think only, like, 70-year-old people like grapefruits. Our kids love grapefruits, okay? And so they were like, oh, that's so cool, you know? Wow, that's amazing. And so she brought them this little grapefruit. It looks like a lime because it's not ripe yet. But it's a grapefruit. And as she was telling them about it, we cut it open, and we started looking at it. And there's this seed in here. And my youngest son, Isaac, who loves grapefruit the most out of all of our kids, he's like, wow. So what we can do is we can plant one of these seeds in our backyard, and we can have our very own grapefruit tree. Isn't that how it works? Won't that be exciting? And we had to break the news to Isaac that, no, you know, grapefruit only grows in the right climate. You can't grow a grapefruit tree in Ohio. And as you think about that, right, isn't it interesting that that there's fruit and there's plants that, that only grow in certain climates, isn't it? There's no fruit that can grow in every single climate, is it? There's no place on earth that can grow every single type of plant because it needs certain soil and it needs a certain climate. But think about this reality of what Paul says. He says the gospel is bearing fruit everywhere. The gospel is going out through all all the world. So in, in our natural world, there's nothing that bears fruit everywhere. In our natural world, there's nothing that you can plant that will grow in every every climate and every plot of soil, but the gospel is and does. And that is the amazing thing about following Jesus is that the gospel is for every single race, every single reality, every single person. It doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter where you're from. The gospel was designed from the very beginning to reach to the edges and the ends of the earth. I think about Janelle's story, and I think what a beautiful picture of a young woman who is committed to living out this reality. Did you hear her say that, that she had this passion for, for sharing Jesus with people and she went to places where you can actually get killed for sharing the gospel with other people? But she was brave and she wanted to advance the gospel and plant seeds of the gospel because she wanted to be a small part of God's big plan. And as we think about that, I think it's kind of cool and it's actually really humbling to think that that church that she's going to go help to plant in Sweden that's, that's reaching these refugees that, that many of us feel so far removed from, you know, it's only things that you see or hear about on the news, but that's a third generation church plant of our little body right here. We planted H2O Kent State 10 years ago, and now H2O Kent State is planting a church in Stockholm, Sweden, to take the gospel to the edges of the earth. 
the very thing that Paul is talking about to this church in Colossae, we get the privilege of doing right here and right now. Isn't that amazing to think about and to wrestle with? And, and so Paul is saying, listen, whether you zoom in because he says the gospel is working in you right now, talking to this little church in this city, talking to the Colossian church, the gospel is working in you, but it's also working to the edges of the earth. So you can zoom in and you can see how God is working in that local context. And you can see how God is continuing to grow and to mature people. Or you can zoom out and you can hear stories and see of the reality that the gospel is going to places that we can't really even imagine. But it's happening because we get to be a small part of his big plan. And that should humble us and that should excite us about the reality of serving a God that loves and cares for every single person and who invites us to be part of his mission. And the same is true with us here now. You know, God is working here locally. We get to share stories every week of how God is changing people's lives. In a few weeks, we're going to have a baptism service where we celebrate people who've come to faith in Christ, and we get to see that reality tangibly right in front of us, and we get to hear stories as we send people overseas as we send people to the edges of the earth to take the gospel to those places. The gospel is bearing fruit, and it's a beautiful reality that we get invited to be part of that. Let's jump back in to this second part right here. It says this. It says, you learned it from Ephrus, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. I want to stop right there because it teaches us a second thing, and it's this, that God's big mission is accomplished through small people. God's big mission is accomplished through small people. Why do we say that? I don't know. Maybe there's a few people who are kind of Bible trivia buffs right here, but how many of you have heard of this guy, Ephraim? I know that I had to research him to figure out who in the world he is. He's only mentioned one other time in the Bible. He's mentioned in the book of Philemon because he was in prison with Paul in Rome. But we don't know hardly anything about him. You know, he's not somebody who had books written about him. He's not somebody whose name lives in history other than these two spots in the Bible. But Paul says, the gospel came to you through this guy who hardly anybody even knows about. But his faithfulness to share the gospel with this church as part of us standing and sitting here today. See, God uses small people in his big mission. And I hope that that's an encouragement to you because I know that some of us, we think, man, the only way that I could ever have an impact for God if I was the type of person who was you know, really outgoing or who could stand up on stage or speak or who could do all these different things that oftentimes we, we look at as these greater gifts. But what Paul says is, no, God uses everybody. God uses small people. God uses weak people. God uses broken people. God uses average people. God uses you and God uses me to take the gospel out. And in fact, if you look at the growth of the gospel over the last 2,000 years, so much of it came from the mom telling her kids about Jesus and that gospel seed taking root and continuing to grow. 
So much of it came from the person sharing with their neighbor and loving them. So much of it came from the person telling their coworker about Jesus. Most of the gospel growth that has happened in our world happens on individual multiplication level. It's not so much about somebody standing up and giving an invitation for thousands of people to come to Christ, but it is the, the person who's faithfully sharing the love of Christ day after day with their friends, their neighbors, the people in their lives, and multiplication starts to happen. See, that's the reality of how God wants to use you and he wants to use me. You don't have to be a hero of the faith in order to have an impact for Jesus. God's mission is accomplished through small people. There's this quote I've actually kind of tried to live my life by. It's, it's kind of a little bit of a morbid quote, but, but I think it's, 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 it's affected me in powerful ways. There's this guy, his name is Count Zinderdorf, and he says this, preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. Preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. And that's really affected me because in a world, especially in a world of like celebrity pastors and in a world where oftentimes we want to, to prop people up and, and, and notice them, what I've tried to do and remind myself is, listen, I'm just a small part of God's big plan. H2O is just a small part of God's big plan, of the church that exists in this world. Uh, we are a small part, and it doesn't mean that we're insignificant. We have amazing roles, but the roles aren't about us. See, our role is to preach the gospel. Our role is to tell people about Jesus, but at the end of the day, he is the one we're pointing people to. And so it's okay for us to come to this reality that our role is to tell people about Jesus, and before too long, eventually, in, in an instant, this life will be over with. And before too long, let's be honest, a lot of us will probably be forgotten. And I hope that that thought doesn't depress you because there is something that will live on beyond us, and it's the hope of the gospel. And so when we unite our life with something that's eternal, when we unite our life with something that's actually going to last and matter for eternity, it does give us significance. It does give us meaning. It does give us purpose. And so God invites us, no matter how small we may feel, into his big, amazing mission. And what a powerful mission it is. So God's big mission is accomplished through small people. Let's jump back in. Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 12 is what we're going to look at next. It says this, For this very reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of life. Paul says, for this reason, since I heard about you, remember, Paul didn't even know these people personally. We talked about that last week. He just heard about them. Since I've heard about you, I have not stopped praying for you. And third, I think we can learn this. Our greatest contribution to God's mission comes on our knees. Our greatest contribution to God's mission 
comes when we're in prayer. Isn't it interesting in our world that oftentimes prayer is kind of just seen as a last resort? Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever seen like when a natural disaster is coming or something like that? We say, we've made all the preparations. We've done everything that we can possibly do. All that's left to do is pray. That's all we can do. And it's almost like prayer is this passive thing that doesn't really have any impact. It's like this thing that, that we tack on. The real work comes when we're doing all the preparation, but all that's left to do is pray. Or, or maybe you've seen this, this hashtag movement about the reality that thoughts and prayers aren't enough. And, and I understand that sentiment because what people are saying is we also need to have action. And that is true. But thoughts and prayers, prayer, if we are truly praying, if we're truly going to the God of the universe, the Bible says that our prayers matter. Our prayers actually make a difference. And so prayers are enough. Prayers work. Prayers mean something. Prayers are powerful. They're not just these passive things that we do as a last resort. They're a way that we engage actively in the mission of God. Paul says, since I heard of you, I haven't stopped praying for you. And then we look at, at his prayers specifically. Because I, I, think, I think this is convicting for me. Prayer isn't one of my strong suits. It's not the, the first thing that I think of in my life. It's something that I have to be disciplined with. We all have different spiritual gifts, and that's not at the top of my list. And so when I look at Paul's prayer to this church in Colossae, I, I'm humbled because I know for many of us, myself included, oftentimes when we pray, we're, we're asking God for things. We're, we're maybe asking him for you know, jobs or health, and, and listen, that's great. I think God wants us to do that. I think God wants us to engage and ask him for those types of things. But look at Paul's prayer. He doesn't start there. He actually prays for something much richer. He prays for something much more important than just health or, or, or a job or, or God's provision. Look at the depth of Paul's prayer. He, he starts to, to, to tell them how he's seeking God and praying for them these spiritual riches. These spiritual things that if we actually live them out will overflow into the rest of our life. He prays for these three specific things. First, he prays for filling. He prays for filling of knowledge. And, and as he's praying for this, he, he says, I pray that God fills you with knowledge. That he fills you with that. And, and when we look biblically, that word filling, oftentimes we think it's like pouring something onto and filling it up. Biblically, the word filling means to be controlled by. Right, And so what Paul's saying is, I pray that you, you young church in Colossians, you are controlled by the knowledge of God. You are controlled by his wisdom. You're not controlled by your anger. You're not controlled by your flesh. I pray that you're controlled, that you're filled with the knowledge of God. And as he's praying that for these people, you think about that and you think, man, if we were controlled by the knowledge of God, how different would our world be? How different would our lives be? How different would the way that we interact with one another be if we were just controlled by this deep knowledge that God gives to every single one of us? Remember, the theme of Colossians is that God has already given us everything we need in Jesus. We don't need to add anything to it. And so Paul's not saying, I pray that God gives you more and more knowledge. What he's saying is, I pray that the knowledge that God's already given you of Jesus Christ, that already exists in your heart and in your minds, is what actually controls you. So he prays for them to be filled. Secondly, he prays for fruitfulness. 
If you look at verse 10, it says, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. Paul's praying for them to have a fruitful life. That the knowledge that they receive actually reflects and lives out in the way that they walk around in their city. And, and sometimes in our world, we actually kind of have knowledge in, in, in like this application of knowledge competing with one another. But what Paul is saying is any theological truth, any knowledge that comes from Jesus should affect the way that we live. It should overflow into fruitful lives. It should attract people to us because they see the beauty of the gospel being lived out in us. And so he says, I pray that you're filled with the knowledge, but I pray that you live a fruitful life. And then third, he prays for faithfulness. So he prays for filling, he prays for fruitfulness, and he prays for faithfulness. He says, I want you to have patience. I want you to have endurance. Because in life, there's going to be things that are thrown at you that you may not be expecting that will be tempted to throw you off of your faith. But I pray that you're faithful. I pray that you're patient. I pray that you're running to Jesus no matter what situation you find yourself in. And man, I don't know about you, but that's a prayer that I need over and over and over again. You know, it's pretty easy to follow Jesus for a few days or a few weeks or maybe even for a few years, Paul's praying, I pray that you have faithfulness for a lifetime. I pray that your patience continues to grow as God brings people into your life and circumstances into your life that may challenge your faith. I pray that you're faithful. See, that's the deep spiritual prayer that Paul is praying for this church. And I think it's a prayer that we can pray as well. God, would you make us people that are filled with your knowledge? God, would you help us to be fruitful as we live our life? And will you help us to be faithful? And out of that, so many other amazing things will flow. The gospel will flow out of us if we pray those prayers. Our greatest contribution to the mission of God comes when we're seeking God in prayer and asking him to do what only he can do. Let's wrap up with this last couple of verses. Last couple of verses in verse 13 of chapter 1 says this. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have the redemption, the forgiveness of sins. See, fourth and finally is this. We are invited into God's great mission because he first went on mission for us. We're invited into God's mission because he first came to rescue you and me. Do you know that we serve a missionary God who goes after people, who sees people in brokenness, who sees people that need rescued and sent his son to come and die for us and save us? Just as Janelle, as we heard her story, is going to pick up and leave the comforts of this place and go and take the gospel to a place that is desperately needs it, God did that with his own son. Jesus, sitting in heaven in a comfortable place, left the comforts of heaven and came here for you and for me to rescue us. And as we think about that reality, the first place that every single one of us must start if we truly want to be engaged in the mission of God is realizing and knowing that we need rescued. We need rescued from our own sin. 
We need rescued from our own darkness. We need rescued from our own place of brokenness. See, God must make a worker before he can do a work. And so if you want to engage in the mission of God, allow God to transform your heart first. Allow God to break your heart for the loss. Allow God to break your heart for your own sin. Sit in the place where you realize you need rescued. And when we allow that to penetrate our hearts and our minds, it all of a sudden starts to allow us to see how we can interact with others. When we come into touch with our own brokenness, with our own lostness, with the fact that that we need Jesus, then and only then do we compassionately love and care for others. Then and only then are we able to lay down our comfort so that we can take the gospel to others. You see, God loves us so much that he saw our sin, he left heaven, and he came here to die for you and me. That's the gospel. Before that, we were in darkness, the Bible says, but God came to rescue us. And he invites us to help him rescue other people. But first, the question we all have to ask is, have we allowed him to rescue us? Have we truly said, God, I want to give you my heart. I want to give you my life. I want to give you everything that I have. And then when we do, we get to be part of his amazing mission, the greatest mission of all time. It's something worth living for, and it's something worth dying for. My prayer, every single one of us, is that we understand the power of that, that we understand that God can and will and desires to use us. And as we faithfully follow him, God will allow us to be part of reaching other people. So let's pray and let's worship God for what he's done in our hearts and in our lives and in our church.